Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Compass Church. And uh, welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. Don't you love it? I know some of you are like, Super Bowl, whatever. Others of us get kind of excited about the game. You know, uh, I find it a more enjoyable Super Bowl when I pick a team that I'm going to root for. I wonder if you've picked. Let's do a little test. Uh, at our 95th Street campus, as well as at Hobson, let's, let's find out who we're rooting for, if we're rooting for anybody. Just in case you're unaware, it's the Atlanta Falcons versus the New England Patriots. All right? The Bears are not in the Super Bowl. So, how many, raise your hand, both 95th and at Hobson, if you're rooting for the New England Patriots? We got some here, I bet you do at 95th. How about the Atlanta Falcons? Woo! (laughs) So many more. I have a theory. My theory goes, we really don't like the Atlanta Falcons that much. We just hate the New England Patriots. And so we're, is that possible? Huh? Why do we hate New England? Well, for one, they've won so many times. And so we're kind of like, you know, share the wealth. How, how about the Falcons? They've never won a Super Bowl. Let's give them a chance to play. Huh? For others, they would say the Patriots are cheaters. Mm, I don't know about that. I, I am not a, a big Patriots fan, though I do own a Tom Brady signed football, which I want to show you. Uh, how about that? Yes. Very proud. <laughs> My daughter is very disappointed with me. She said, that is not a thing for a pastor to do, Dad. That's mean. In case you're not aware, uh, Tom Brady served a four-week suspension this season Uh, for cheating, for deflating the football during the last time he was in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Apparently it makes it easier to grip when it's a little uh, deflated. Uh, Some of you Brady fans are like, he didn't do it. And and maybe you're right. I don't know. But if the commissioner is right and that he did cheat, it, it tells a story, does it not? It tells a story of someone who wants to win so bad that they're willing to do whatever it takes to win that victory. And that's prevalent in professional sports. I'm convinced of it. The desire to win overwhelms people to the point where they cheat. They cut corners. They do what is wrong. And before we wag our fingers at Tom Brady or anybody else and say, cheater, we need to know we do the same thing. We do want to win. At work, we want to win. We want to be successful. We want to be wealthy And as a result, sometimes, as we're about to be reminded, we cross ethical lines. Here, uh, okay, and I'm going to be honest, this was not actually signed by Tom Brady, all right? I I forged it, if you must know. I signed it, all right? So, to make my prop. Here, I did not sign this, but this is a forgery as well, a baseball with a fascinating story behind it. It appears to be signed by Ernie Banks. It's upside down, Ernie's name at least. But it's not signed by Ernie Banks. It was part of a forgery scam that was busted by the FBI. You'll notice the signature has been stamped out by the FBI. Let let me tell you the story. The forger, uh, the forger is the name Tony Olinovic. Tony Olinovic, Chicago boy. 
uh, just like us. In fact, he's about my age. And he was running a huge operation. In fact, uh, when the FBI busted him, they, they had to go undercover. They had agents who, you know, posed as sports memorabilia collectors. They had wires on recording conversations and hidden surveillance cameras recording things. When they busted him, they discovered that he had sold, in one year's time, he had sold 1,700 forged, signed uh, pieces of memorabilia to a grand total he had made $2.5 million in that one year. Largest bust of sports memorabilia racket ever. And, uh, you know, the, the man went to jail. You know, he, this is interesting. The thing that triggered the FBI that something was going on was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is very stingy in, in signing things. And suddenly there was this influx of many Jordan signed stuff. And, and Jordan was the one who said, hey, I didn't sign this. And sure enough, that's what began the investigation that busted Tony Olinovic. Now... In court, Tony pleaded guilty, and uh, he told his story, and I find his story rather interesting. The story goes like this. He loved sports. He loved collecting things, and he loved trading things. And sometimes to make a trade, he'd fudge a little bit on the facts. And I got to tell you, I did the same thing. When I was a boy, I traded baseball cards and I was a salesman. I'd, you know, tell my buddies, this card, wow. I, do you have any idea how valuable it is? Yeah, and I'd, I'd exaggerate, if not flat out lie. And I'd say, I'd trade it to you because you're my best friend, you know, only for you. I'd never do this for anyone else. But, well, that's the same thing. Tony traded, bent the truth in his trading, loved trading so much, he realized that there was some money to be made that he opened up a little card sports memorabilia shop on the south side of Chicago. And uh, he poured his heart and soul into a legitimate business. Now, running a small shop is difficult to make a living at. And, you know, yeah, he would lie a bit when it comes to presenting the stuff he would sell. And if they, you know, didn't know better, that's their fault for not knowing better, he would say. Eventually, he started filling out certificates of authenticity. They found that they're not legitimate certificates, but they sure help the product sell. And then one day, he was really upside down financially and really needed a financial boost, and in the tight spot of needing money, he said, I'm going to do it one time and one time only. I'm going to forge one baseball. And he did, and he couldn't believe how fast it sold, and he got away with it. And he thought, wow, that was a good close call. I'm glad it worked. And, and he said, I'll never do that again. Well, time passed, and hard times hit again. And he went back to his old way, and he said, all right, one more time, and did it one more time. And then a little later, two balls, and a little later, three. And he started to make some real money here, and he thought to himself, I could get rich. I don't need to be a struggling, poor businessman. I could be a millionaire. And greed got the better of him. And he launched into this forgery thing. And it was very profitable until he got busted. So, do you relate? 
You say, oh, I would never do a $2.5 million illegal business. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. But do you relate to the early stages of ethical compromise? Because we all do. The urge to make a few bucks or save a few bucks is so strong. And the temptation to compromise is real for all of us. And it's what we're going to study in today's passage. That ethical compromise. What's the series called? The series is called The Hustle. It's all about money. It's all about the effect that this thing called money has on our lives and the temptation for it to ruin our lives. Last week, we had a message called The Spending of Money. Do you remember? We're studying 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a book written to this pastor, Timothy, who pastored in a city that was rich, in a city that had money-focused people. I feel a little relationship there. Well, God knew that they needed that message. So last week was the spending of money. It was all about our materialistic obsession to buy more, get more, have more, believing that through more, we will be filled more. And we discovered that our heart is never satisfied with more. What we need is the Lord. To be rich in God is what our souls crave. Well, that was last week, the spending of money, trying to satisfy the soul. How about this? This week, week two, the pursuit of money. Sometimes our burning desire for money causes us to pursue getting money with unethical means. And that's what we're going to study. And we're returning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you are inclined to read along in your Bible in the seat back, you'll find that on page 1195. 1195. We're just going to study two verses. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. You're like, oh, the money, money's the root of evil. Yeah, I think I've heard that. It's frequently misquoted, and I'd like to clarify. It's not money's the root of evil. Money's not good nor bad. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. In fact, let's highlight that phrase. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then I've highlighted this one as well. Want to get rich. Those who want to get rich, they're synonymous. They're both about greed, about that, in, that desire, that burning desire to have more. And this passage calls it a root. And so I'm going to use the word root here. And the reason it describes it as a root, you've been weeding, haven't you? You know when you're weeding, if you don't get the roots, it's just going to spring back up. Roots are crazy. Though they're invisible, you can't see them. They bring great effect in your garden or yard, and those weeds spring up. Well, similarly, this love of money, if it's burning in our hearts, it will, though unseen by the world, yield destructive effects in our lives. And when I say the love of money... You may say, is it wrong for me to want my business to go well? Is it wrong for me to be delighted when I get a raise? No. 
we can be thankful and grateful for financial blessing from God. But the love of money is something deeper and more insidious. It's that burning desire. I've got to have more. I've got to have more. And it, it stirs in all of us to a degree. And it's really, really destructive. You say, how is it destructive? Well, let's move on. The next slide, uh, it goes from root to rob. It leads to behavior of robbing people. The passage says those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. There's a way to get rich that's sinful. It's tempting when you really have greed burning in you. And this temptation, we fall to it when we have greed leading our lives. And so when it talks about falling into temptation, it's speaking of those things we do that are unethical. I call it robbing because really somebody's always losing when we're gaining through unethical means. We're robbing somebody. Let's play with that a bit. Sometimes we're robbing our employer. Do you know that retail stores say that inside theft, employee theft, is more of a problem than public theft. And so there's so many ways that people can steal from their employer. Sometimes it's just embezzlement. It's just taking money away in in large quantities sometimes. But often it's smaller stuff, just little stuff, easily justifiable stuff, petty theft, like, you know, office supplies. I need one of these at home, and the company's got tons of them, you know, I'll just stick one in my bag. Or uh, if it's not petty theft, sometimes it's padding your expense account where you're given you know, a certain amount of money to spend on work-related expenses and it's so easy to throw in a receipt of personal stuff and get reimbursed. No one will know. Or maybe it's robbing from your company with your time. You know, you're being paid to work this many hours and you know you can slack off and goof off and have a significant period of your time where you're not actually working but getting paid to work or adjust your time card or website, however it's recorded. Folks, there are countless ways to rob your employer and they're small, but they matter to God. What about about employees or companies, businesses, robbing customers that happens all the time. You know, where a, a business will overcharge a customer and say, I can't believe what they're paying. You know, it's their job to know better, but I'm just going to rake it, you know, and it's just gross, taking it, grossly taking advantage of uh, customers. Uh, some people, uh, you know, charge for services they really didn't provide. Sometimes businesses have ways that are unethical requiring their people to mistreat customers. And I've had folks in our church say, what do I do? I'm being asked to do unethical things by my business. Uh, And and many times Christians have had to look their boss in the eye and say, hey, I want to be a good employee, but I can't do that. And sometimes Christians have lost their jobs because of their unwillingness to compromise. Sometimes Christians have had to resign before it gets to that and look for a place where they can work hard and work ethically. But robbing customers is another. How about this? Robbing the government. 
One of the biggest forms of robbery is, is the government because we're like, you know, the government, you know, it's just the man, you know, you know, whatever. It's, it's so big and impersonal that if I can get away without paying taxes, isn't that my American right? You know, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, folks will say, hey, I'll, I'll give you this price if you're paying by check or credit card, but if you'll pay cash, get a better price. Why? Because I don't have to report it to the government. I can avoid taxes, and it's so common that it's almost uh, viewed as right. But it's not. It's unethical and it's robbing. And it's not the plan of God. So this robbing, this falling to temptation is, is big. Now let's move to the next slide. And a trap. When you fall into temptation, when you start doing these unethical practices, we find they're like a trap. Trap meaning you can't get out of it easily. You've seen a mouse in a trap or a bear you've heard of in a trap where they're stuck. And similarly, unethical practices, they, they, they once started, are not easy to change. In fact, I call them here a rut. You know when you're in a rut. A rut literally is, you know, in the old days when a dirt road, when a, the wagon would go down that road so many times. Because it went down that road so many times, the wheels would make these ruts and you get stuck in a rut. And similarly, when we've done this behavior so many times, I've been living this way for years, the thought of getting out of that rut is just almost impossible. I have a dear friend of mine who some years back came to me and said, Jeff, he was just white as a ghost. He's like, I'm in trouble. He said, the IRS called me this week. They want to do an audit of my business. He owns a small but profitable little business. And I'm like, is that so bad? And he said, it is, Jeff. I'm sloppy at bookkeeping. And he says, maybe strategically sloppy at bookkeeping. And I'm like, oh, boy. And it was a, it was a nightmare. The IRS analyzed his books for six months. My friend was afraid he was going to go to jail. In the end, he did not. He was fined severely. But he praised God that... He stayed out of the clink. Well, he now thanks God for that experience. He said, I didn't think I could get out of the rut. He goes, come to find out I can. (laughs) When forced to, I can. He says, Jeff, I used to think that there's no way if I were to be on the up and up in every way, I'd lose my competitive advantage. I couldn't get jobs. He said, if I were on the up and up, I would lose my profit margin. I couldn't be profitable. He said, there's just no way for me to be squeaky clean. That's the way he thought. He thought he was in a rut that legitimately could not get out of. Well, with a good kick in the pants from the IRS, he found there is another way to do business. And yes, it's harder to earn those customers at first, you know, when you're not as competitive. And and the profit margin is slimmer, but he says, I sleep at night. He said, I feel the smile of God. He said, when I talk with people, I don't have to think, oh, what did I tell this guy? What story? I don't have to manage my lies or cover my tracks. I just say the truth. He goes, it's so beautiful. And he thanks God that God's gotten him out of that rut. But he was in a rut for many years. And it was difficult to get out of. Next slide. It says a a trap and many foolish and harmful desires. Wait a minute. The desire 
to get rich, that desire, leads to many other foolish and harmful desires? Yes. One desire leads to a whole bunch of foolish, harmful desires. The desire to have money tends to lead to people being power-hungry and, and, and people wanting the easy life and wanting more stuff, the materialistic side of it, and wanting the admiration and respect of people. And they're narcissistic egomaniacs sometimes, all started from greed. And so I use the term rot because our very character rots when greed has its way. Greed started us down this path and we get stuck. And the next thing we know, in many ways, our character is eroding before our very eyes. And folks, when your character is eroding, when you're losing your integrity, you are losing something that is precious. In fact, you're always the loser, no matter what monetary gain you may get. If you've sold your soul, if you've sacrificed your integrity, you're a loser. And God says, I don't want you to collapse morally and rot your very heart and soul. God says, I want to spare you this digression, this path that it's so easy to slide down. Next slide. What's next? Ruin. You see where it ends up. It says these harmful and foolish desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The word plunge is actually the word used to describe a ship that is sinking in the water. Your whole life can be destroyed by slipping down this slippery slope. Ruin, destruction is the end. It's so important for us to realize that God's love is behind this warning. God is not some... You know, just moralists who says, oh, I just love squeaky clean people for no reason. God says the path of dishonest gain is a nightmare. And I want you people to be spared the destructive results that that path will yield. And so God invites us to his way, the way that reflects the beauty of his own soul for the sake of our lives and so that he can be glorified. Now you may say, what kind of ruin, what kind of destruction are we talking about? Well, the end of verse 10, which we haven't read yet, describes what that ruin looks like. So let's go to it now. Uh, The end of verse 10 elaborates on the ruin. It says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. First of all, people eager for money, that's synonymous with the greed we've already seen when it said the love of money, the desire to get rich. Here it says it again. It says those people, what do they find that greed doing? It will lead them to, being, to wandering from the faith. I would call this spiritual and emotional destruction. Spiritual, wandering from the faith, emotional, pierced with many griefs, destruction. And uh, Maybe you've seen it. People who were once so close to God, beginning that path of small, uh, low-integrity decisions at first, and then they build more and more. And the next thing you know, they don't even like going to church because they feel guilty. and They don't like sitting in God's presence because they know their life is in rebellion against his ways. And so they just kind of distance themselves spiritually. And God grieves that spiritual loss more than anything else. Piercing themselves with many griefs. 
Folks, this, this guilt, this shame, this not being able to hold your head up high, not being able to sleep at night knowing that God's smile is on you, this is a terrible way to live. The emotional stress of covering your bases and managing lies, it's a terrible way to live. There's emotional baggage there that God wants us to be freed of. Have you seen anyone just collapse like this? My, my friend recently uh, was telling me, it's just a sad story. He works for a parent company, and he's responsible for oversight of three small businesses owned by the parent company. And in the ca- case of these small businesses, he's hired Christian men to manage each of the three businesses. And to our utter astonishment, in the last couple of years, all three of those managers have collapsed ethically. One of them, through sexual sin, he just took off and left, ran off with a girlfriend. And the other two, it was the love of money. The other two, these men were disappointed in the level of their compensation and began to see ways that they could cut corners and pad their own pocketbook. And both of these Christian men eventually found themselves pulled into unethical living patterns that the company discovered. They had to be fired. It was ugly. And most ugly is the spiritual effect that happened to these once vibrant Christians. And my friend is just shaking his head going, are there any Christians, are there any men, women of integrity left any who have virtue, any who choose what's right over what, what makes a buck. And it sometimes feels like there are a few. But man, I pray that you're one of the few. And I pray that in the days ahead, you're increasingly one of the few. Because there are some out there. My dad is one of them. Can I brag on my dad for just a moment? My dad, his whole career has been a banker. And bankers and greed sometimes are synonymous. The banking industry is what almost destroyed our economy. Some of the unwise, at times illegal practices involved in lending got our whole economy all messed up. And yet my father has always operated by asking not what's profitable, but what's right. Just the way my dad has been. And my dad's been willing again and again to make decisions that mean loss to him in order to do what's right for God. I I was blessed to watch my dad uh, process things around the kitchen table. I know you're not supposed to bring work home, but he would bring work home and he'd talk about dilemmas and I'd watch him verbally process. And he'd just say, well, that's not an option. I'm like, wow. Wow. And I've known a lot of people who have known my dad, and they come to me and say, I worked with your father, Jeff. I've never seen a man of more integrity before. And as a boy, I am so proud of my father. Not that he did well in business. It's not how well he did, but how well he did it that I'm proud of. You know the difference? I don't really care how much money he made. I care about the integrity he did it with. I had a bad day yesterday, so I'm I'm doing sermon prep, thinking about my dad, praising God for his inspiring example. And as I'm thinking about how my dad lived a life of integrity before us kids, all of a sudden a decision I had made the night before, Friday night, 
that was unethical comes to mind. A decision that I made to save a few bucks right in front of my children. (laughs) A lot of times I'm real vulnerable about my failure. I'm not going to tell you what I did this time. (laughs) I'll leave you guessing. I'm going to risk you thinking it worse than it really was. If I told you, some of you would say, oh, Jeff, don't worry about it. Everybody does that. It's no big deal. My dad would not have done it, and I did it. Jesus would not have done it, and I did it. I knew God didn't want me to do it. I did it. (laughs) Then I turned to writing a sermon on integrity. (laughs) I was so guilt-ridden, I left my office, drove home, and I had to get my kids together. I go, kids, last night, Daddy had a decision, and I chose to save a few dollars by choosing, and my kids were like, oh, Dad, don't worry about it. No! Little things matter, too. And I was wrong. Kids were gracious, and so was God. And maybe you're where I'm at. Maybe as you look at this moment, you're under conviction as well. Maybe this moment can be a moment of life change for you. Like my buddy who had the wake-up call with the IRS audit. Maybe you for years have been pursuing business with multiple ethically questionable ways. And maybe in this moment, God wants to bring you to a point of conviction where you say, no more. From this day forward, I am honoring Christ. Maybe it's not a huge issue for you, but a number of little things come to mind. Where, yeah, you cut a corner and you feel God saying, take the high road. This is a moment where we can come to the Lord Find grace. The incredible thing about this Christian journey is that the Lord does not ridicule us for our failure, but readily forgives every time we confess and lavishes his love and grace that washes away our sins. And then he invites us to a brand new start. And so this moment of conviction, repentance, forgiveness, and renewal is a grace-filled moment for me, for you, for all of us. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have a, a prayer of confession. And then after my prayer of confession, we got a song. Woo-hoo. A song that will just remind us that we can come to Jesus and find the forgiveness that's needed. Shall we? Let's pray. Lord, you know better even than I because I've forgotten so much of what I've done. But you know How many times my desire for money has caused me to make little decisions that dishonor you and your ways. And I am sorry. What I did Friday night, I repent. And God, it's not me. All of us, we repent. Maybe there are specific decisions in mind. Maybe it's just general patterns of living. But we repent. We repent and ask for your grace to wash over us. Wash away our sin, Jesus, and fill us with the righteousness of Christ once again. And would you enable us to change? God, we want to be courageous. We we don't want to be women and men who sacrifice our integrity anymore. 
And so give us the courage and the strength in the moment of temptation, even this week, maybe today, to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then show us your smile. Let us see the fireworks in heaven and the applause as you, God, celebrate your kid getting it right for once. Jesus, we've got sin, every one of us. We bring it to you seeking forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.